This is Global Greek Influence. I'm Panagiotou Pimenidou. Real conversations with diverse background experts weigh the synergy of currently fragmental notions that could inspire, impact, and positively affect our lives and consequently humanity. Yanis Jonomikos is here with me today and is now based in Athens, Greece. He has lived, studied, and done research in the USA, UK, Norway, Germany, Finland, and Israel. He earned his bachelor's degree in sociology at the University of Louisiana, his master's degree in European integration and cooperation at the University of Hull, and his doctorate diploma in international relations and diplomacy at the Washington International University. His research is focused on academic intelligence and national security issues covering southeastern Mediterranean region, including the Balkans, Middle East, and North Africa. Yanis is specialized in business intelligence consultancy regarding security issues in the Balkans, North Africa, and the Mediterranean region. He is staff board member of the Anti-Terrorism Accreditation Board in Calcutta, India, head of international relations, history, and politics of Webster University at Athens Campus, director of the European Intelligence Academy in Athens, Greece, chairman of the Mediterranean Council for Intelligence Studies linked to the Research Institute for European and American Studies, RIESAS, whose founder and director is Yanis. His vision is to make the Research Institute for European and American Studies one of the most dynamic think tank in the southeastern Mediterranean region. Welcome to the show, Yanis. Thank you very much, you know, Dr. Pimenido. I'm very happy to be uh, with you and to give this uh, interview with you. Yanis, how would you describe yourself? Just give us an introduction of yourself to our audience. When I was a, a student at Louisiana, one of my dreams was to establish a research foundation in Greece. Uh, that was really a dream to me. But when I came to Greece, uh, I decided to establish the Research Institute for European and American Studies, based in Athens, Greece. Uh, when I uh, stated my idea and my visual to my Greek colleges, they said to me directly, Yanis, this is not the United States, this is Greece. And um, uh, we believe that you're not going to make it because Greece does not provide any kind of funding from the government or from uh, any public and private sector. So your dream in Greece is going to be, you know, a failure. Well, I said, okay, I realized that Greece does not provide any funding, does not provide any evaluation, no credibility. The Greek system is based on nepotism and whom you know. But uh, one one thing that I learned in the United States is uh, I will give an I will give an, an opportunity to myself. Says nobody gave an opportunity to me, and I said to them very strongly that if there is a will, if there is a will, everything can be possible, even though the environment in Greece is not very friendly. So I established the research institute for European American Studies, 
without uh, any funding. I just, you know, made my house an institute. And I eventually, you know, uh, motivate myself to, to cover uh, some expenses. And uh, this comes to a new challenge when uh, I applied for an EU project in 2009 in the European Commission. And finally, the European Commission support us with a, a good amount of money to start working on the EU project. So RIES became a, a member of the consortium regarding an EU project on uh, uh, counter-terrorism crisis communication. Uh, and RIES, you know, was uh, in charge of studying 25 different terrorist activities and to examine the communication policies uh, from Greece, Israel, Bulgaria, Turkey, uh, Germany, Spain, and UK. So after two years, as a part of this uh, consortium, we came, we came up uh, with the first crisis communication policy for all the EU, for the European Union, member state police headquarters. So my dream became reality based in Greece and with assistance from the EU Commission because of the project. And after that, the United States asked to have a copy of, uh, of, our, uh, of a manual, which we give it to them, especially to the Homeland Security people and to some other government authorities. And, uh, you know, we started, you know, to have more access. And another thing that I did, uh, Ms. Dr. Pimenidou, is that uh, anything we do in Greece, uh, the English language are an international tool. Uh, many Greek people criticize me why I don't use the Greek language uh, when I write my article or I post my article on the website. And I said to them, I love Greece. You know, I'm a Greek citizen, of course. And uh, one reason that uh, I use the English language is just, just to spread the news out, to spread my vision out, because English is an international language. Greek is a very powerful language because many, uh, many you know, um, knowledge came from Greece, but it's only limited to the Greek uh, people and to the Greek diaspora. Uh, and now we use the language in order to give the knowledge, to give, you know, our work to everybody. And, uh, and, and now this is, makes Greece, uh, after uh, 12 years, because the Research Institute for European American Study was founded 6 April 2006. And until now, we are one of the most uh, dynamic think tank in, in Greece, totally dependent, non-profit. And what it makes me happy in my colleges, we are uh, fully independent without having any kind of a, you know, connection with the political system here. We don't use nepotism. And uh, we use our uh, Anglo-Saxon way, uh, way of living and doing things in the country that is behind the Anglo-Saxonic model. So we are really like an oasis in the desert, according to the Greek, according to the Greek, Greek uh, academic mentality. But uh, the Greek uh, scientists living in diaspora or living in Greece uh, 
are communicating better because what really keeps us together is the way that we are thinking. Uh, and I do believe, uh, I'm an optimist, that Greece sooner or later, after the coronavirus, uh, virus, will have to change the mentality and to go one level ahead, even though the political system uh, keeps Greece down, uh, down and uh, it's very hard uh, to overcome the systemic failure that we feel today and keeps the Greeks in diaspora and the Greeks who live in, in Greece uh, behind you know, this uh, corrupted and uh, unproductive political system. Let's take a step back in 2006 when you decided to, and when you were thinking to found the Research Institute for European and American Studies. Can you please tell me what was the need, what was the main purpose okay. you created this nonprofit organization? Okay. Dr. Pimenido, when I came to Greece, I was a young uh, scholar and uh, I was looking for a job. So I applied to, you know, to become, you know, just a researcher in the, in the Greek university, no success. I went to some other uh, research foundation, no success. They said to me that uh, uh, you have a very good uh, CV, uh, you are very, you, you are very uh, overqualified, and uh, unfortunately we cannot offer you a job uh, so some of the um, Greek academicians, they said to me it, uh, directly, why you don't go back to the United States and to the Canada? Why you decide to come to Greece? You are too much for us. And I said, uh, my God, what are you talking about? I'm too much for you. I, I do believe that the people who love their country, like Greece, eh, says I'm Greek citizen, I, I like to, to, to offer my knowledge here. I like to, to build up my life here. And I come here, and without asking me what I can do for you, you said to me, take the plane and go back to the United States. So I was really depressed. And uh, I said, listen, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to go back to Canada, United States, Europe, or Australia. I'm going to give a try to myself. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to give a try. So I went to a lawyer. I said, listen, I want to establish the research issue for European American Studies. What do I need? He said to me, you need a constitution and you need to do A, B, C, D. I said, okay. And then the lawyer said to me and my colleague said to me, uh, Dr. Pimenez, who's going to finance? I said, uh, I'm going to finance, but uh, I'm going to use my house as an institute but, uh, well, I will cover my expenses. And then they asked to me, what are you going to do? Who's going to finance your research? I said, listen, I don't know who's going to finance me, but uh, I'm willing to try. And I don't believe that in Greece, no one is going to help me. Uh, not even the government, not the, the uh, entrepreneurship, not the public administration. But I will give a fight. So it took me uh, one or two years I did a lot of work, different work. I was teaching, you know, to some uh, uh, private colleges just to cover up my living expenses. You know, I didn't make a lot of money, but I said to myself, I'm not going to give up. And so I was looking for a, a funding opportunity. And when I saw this EU project, 
I said, you know, at least I'm going to apply there, Dr. Pimenido. And one reason that I applied abroad is, is because I believe uh, the, uh, the review committee or the evaluation committee in abroad uh, should be objective. They don't need to, to be nepotistic. They don't need, you know, to have connection. I said, if I'm good, they will say to me, uh, we can give you an opportunity. But based on my work, based on my CV, based on my knowledge, and I succeeded. So easily, I succeeded. I went to Brussels. I stayed, you know, I stayed in Brussels for two weeks in one hotel, and I worked 24 hours a day to, uh, to build up my application. I said, here, if I fail, I will know that I failed because I was not good, not because nobody gave me an opportunity, no one because I'm not a member of a political party, and no one could say anything to me. So I live in Greece, I have my institute in Greece, but I made to make my dream a reality when uh, I found out uh, how you can do that in EU, and then I started to apply to any kind of grant, any kind of funding opportunity, I could do it, uh, you know, uh, outside Greece. Um, that's why I said before that uh, RIES is, a, is, a, is, an, uh, is an Anglo-Saxonic uh, research foundation in Greece, but with a Mediterranean heart. And uh, I have people in Greece, eh, who see that um, they call me a man who always thinks out of the box. You know, I cannot be, I cannot be, you know, uh, what can I say, uh, conversal to, to, to such a Greek uh, mentality. I like to be always out of the box. I like to go against the way, and I like to think things that makes our Greece, uh, you know, make miracle, because I do believe in miracle. So Greece... In areas in Greece, Dr. Pimenido is a miracle under a very um, different environment. But uh, that's how I started. You know, uh, depressions uh, pushed me to prove myself that everything is possible in Greece if you believe it. In a country that no one really gives you an opportunity, and uh, as I told you before, Dr. Pimenido, I'll never forget a Greek. Uh, uh, academician who told me, you are overqualified, please take the planes and leave uh, and go back to the country that you just came from. I said, this is unacceptable for me. As a Greek, I would never accept it. And I will stay here to build uh, my own institute. And I will stay here to build my own university. I don't know how to do it, but I will do it. This reminds me of my story when I was uh, applying for PhD posts in Greece, um, it was very hard to find uh, a position as a PhD student simply because, and then I managed to find uh, a PhD position here in the UK at the University of Leeds, and then I moved uh, abroad again, and that was way before the uh, Greek uh, financial crisis. But now let's go to uh, something, to a topic that is of interest, not only to the Greeks who live in Greece, but also to the Greeks who live abroad. Not even a month ago, Greece experienced tensions rise at its borders, evoked by Turkey. And I was thinking a few days ago that maybe now, because of the coronavirus epidemic, these tensions might reside. And even though it didn't seem possible, 
It looks like the tension started to ease today at the Greek-Turkish borders. Do you think this is uh, temporary? Yes. Uh, well, uh, Mr. Logan is saving a big uh, domestic issues uh, because of the collapse of the Turkish economy and because of the coronavirus problem. Uh, he tried, you know, to blackmail the European Commission again by pushing so many, you know, illegal migrants, primarily from Afghanistan or Pakistan to the Greek-Turkish border, uh, in order, you know, to make all these people come to, to Greece and then go wherever in Europe. But he didn't manage. So because of the coronavirus, he took everybody back because he's uh, really scared about that. But uh, the point is uh, um, the tension is temporarily, could I say the word, uh, postpone it. The point is that the Turks uh, will never stop uh, pushing migrants, not only from the Greek-Turkish border, but also from the Greek island, from the Greek island. Uh, and one of the, um, one of their uh, strategy is how to find a way uh, to create an, uh, to create a problem to the Greek island of Megisti or Castellorizo. Uh, this is their own, you know, uh, primary, you know, goal is how to uh, attack Castellorizo because if they do that, they have they change the exclusive economic zone between Greece and Turkey, and they can you know divide it the GSE uh, in in the middle. So Turkey will have access to, you know, to Aegean oil and natural resources. So um, Erdogan, uh, you know, is looking forward to externalize uh, his domestic failures regarding, you know, economy and now the coronavirus problem. And of course, the, the difficult situation that he's facing in the Syria conflict and in the Libyan conflict. So the tension uh, between Greece and Turkey is not going to easy. It's going to stop for some time because of the coronavirus. But uh, when the coronavirus, you know, uh, comes down a little bit, uh, the Turks are waiting uh, in the corner uh, like a wolf uh, to attack, you know, Greece, uh, wherever they find the right time. And uh, number one, number two, uh, as you can see, Turkey, Dr. Pimenidou is a member of NATO, and uh, we are a member of NATO, so two members of NATO are fighting each other. That means that uh, Turkey could destabilize the southern part of, uh, of the Mediterranean Aegean. So uh, between of two, of two NATO members conflict each other, that's going to have a tremendous impact uh, on weakening uh, the NATO part in uh, Aegean, and that might give uh, um, an, um, a possibility to Russian Foundation to use Turkey as a proxy uh, to increase the tension between Greece and Turkey and to manipulate Turkey against, uh, against you know, NATO by creating and by keeping up this conflict between the two uh, NATO members. So Russian is behind Turkey, and I don't know how Turkey as a member of NATO, as a, as a member of NATO, will be able to distance itself from the from a wooded bear 
call them Russian Foundation. Russian, sorry, Federation. Yes. So it looks like um, Turkey, under Erdogan's leadership, is going to get either the help of Russia or the US, depending on who is offering their help to them, in order to realize Turkey's plans under the leadership of Erdogan. The question is, will Erdogan be able to put forward his plans and bring them to fruition? It, it, it is it's possible. Erdogan leadership could have the opportunity, you know, to push his plan and use an um, war incident, you know, against Greece. Now, um, the United States, as a member of NATO too, has uh, stated to Greece that uh, if that happens, uh, you probably have to solve the issues by yourself, all right? And the uh, Russian uh, would not have any, uh, any obstacle to see Turkey create an, an incident against Greece because, uh, you know, uh, Turkey right now uh, is, um, is a, an unstable, a very much unstable actor for the stability of the Mediterranean. Uh, the, uh, there is one, another factor there could, uh, that could intervene uh, in order to provide some stability and uh, outside Russia and outside the United States, the state of Israel. The state of Israel uh, could, not only by providing satellite information or intelligence uh, information to Greece, but uh, uh, Israel could see providing armed forces and get involved, assisting Greece. I know that uh, I know this is a uh, South uh, oxymoron and out of the box thinking, but the point is that, that if Greece has an attack from uh, from Turkey, it makes Greece you know an unstable factor. Uh, because of the coronavirus, because of the hotspot, because of the illegal migrant, uh, this is created many, you know, issues for the national security related to the to Israel. So uh, many Greeks, you know, scholars and analysts, they could say that um, uh, Israel. They say that Israel is a is a country that accept the information they provide to us. Uh, uh, they must, you know, uh, not really they must, but they should uh, get involved uh, with the airplane or navy, uh, assist uh, Greece uh, in, in if we receive any major attack uh, from Erdogan leadership. So right now, it might sound a little bit um, out of the blue, but... Uh, uh, I was not surprised if I see Israeli armed forces, you know, or Israeli uh, air force, you know, assisting the Greek uh, armed forces, you know, to push uh, uh, Turkey back. Because, you know, Dr. Pimenido, um, could you please tell me uh, in January if you could uh, have any estimate on what's going on today with the coronavirus? No one knew 
in January that coronavirus is coming today. I wasn't surprised was, but it's a reality. So under these uh, circumstances, uh, you know, uh, everyone is looking for its own national security. And uh, right now, Israel national security uh, is, is goes through the stability of the Cyprus and the stability of Greece. That's why we have the Ismed. The Ismed is three plus one. So we are going to see three plus one is Greek, Cyprus, Israel plus the United States. Of course, we have to realize that the geography in Turkey is very important to Russia because of the Black Sea and the Bosporus. But the West does not want to lose Turkey because of the geography. So the geography is strategically important for Turkey, but that doesn't mean because the geography is very important for Turkey and for NATO members that Greece has to be the victim of, a, of, a, of a Erdogan leadership, which is you know, uh, related to the domestic issues that he has to solve uh, in 70 years that he's running Turkey. So what we see, Dr. Pimenido, is the two uh, Turkish you know, personalities, Mr. Davutoglu and another gentleman, uh, are uh, establishing new political parties that they might challenge you know, Mr. Erdogan in the coming election. But the point is right now, Mr. Erdogan has opened too many fronts uh, dreaming to become a, you know, a sultan in the Ottoman Empire. And uh, I don't know how far uh, he can move on his dream uh, as a NATO member, you know, attacking, you know, uh, the Trojan horse, uh, NATO allies that he thinks is Greece. So um, I'm very realistic that uh, we should keep an eye on him uh, because of the coronavirus problem, because of the illegal migration now. And the one thing that I want to focus to you is that uh, under Erdogan leadership, the security and intelligence community in Turkey is very strong, all right? And it has uh, a lot of money and a lot of uh, operation uh, abroad. So Erdogan does not spend all this money, uh, you know, without expecting some uh, resort uh, of his money in the, in the security and intelligence community. He has a plan. He's a, he's a leader who has experience to be patient, but I think he, he sooner or later, he will find his way uh, to keep Greece busy on any kind of activities in the near future. Well, I don't know if Erdogan, like any businessman, um, even businessmen today who have invested uh, in future plans, uh, they might see their plans not coming to fruition because of the coronavirus. So I wouldn't really bet if Erdogan, uh, during this pandemic, uh, he is going to bring his plans into a reality simply because he has invested in those plans for the past decade. But what is real and what is mostly real to uh, us is that we experienced a global pandemic of coronavirus. In July 2019, okay. Chinese mm -hmm. scientists working in Canada on deadly human diseases were expelled. And recently, Dr. Shohan who is a former senior analyst 
in Israel Defense Forces, in the Intelligence and Ministry of Defense, who specializes in chemical and biological warfare in the Middle East and worldwide, wrote an article titled China and Viruses, the case of Dr. Xiangkuo Ki. How can the public handle the government and governments consider such information? Because we are flooded these days with um, articles coming from intelligence officers or articles coming from six months ago relevant to um, Chinese scientists expelled from Canada because of the research they conducted there. So what can we as general public do with all this information and how can governments consider such information? Well, uh, first of all, before I reply to your question, there's the rumors in the social media that uh, the Chinese have provided some kind of medicine um, against coronavirus. And so far, uh, there are three countries that they have received an, uh, a medicine um, from Chinese authorities, uh, Japan, Iran, and Turkey. Now, I don't know if this is um, uh, true or a fake news, but I would probably say that if Turkey has received a medicine against coronavirus from China, uh, this is a good, uh, <clears throat> the good, you know, surprise for me. I know the Iranians has already received it from the Chinese. Now, go back to your question, uh, Dr. Pimenidou, is that, uh, first of all, Chinese is an authoritarian state. Um, uh, the Chinese right now, they have it, um, an, a tremendously pro protective uh, surveillance system. They know uh, for everyone where he's going, where he's moving, what he's doing. You know, there are more than one billion, you know, people, but they know exactly who is who. Uh, because uh, only in a, an authoritarian uh, service can do it. Number two, they have one of the most strong uh, um, intelligent community and security community, all right? Uh, these people don't, ha don't have to worry about big brothers. They are already in the big brothers. Number three, uh, most of the scholars in the university, entrepreneurship, uh, inside China or outside China, they have some kind of briefing, you know, from the security authorities in China. The same applies to Turkey too. Therefore, if a student or a researcher goes to the West to work in a research lab, it doesn't mean that he's working for the Chinese intelligence, but we could be careful if we have Chinese to work in a research lab in the United States or in Israel or in Canada to make sure and collect as much information we can about him or her uh, doing research there. Are they coming there because of the, because of the sciences? Are they coming here? Are they coming to their own host country because, you know, provided the services and they receive, you know, credibility and academic career? or they are there just to, to, I don't want to use the word to, to copy, to steal, or to espionage, but these three words could be 
uh, could be put in the, on the backside of our mind eh? because the Chinese, you know, always have to be uh, under some kind of security clearance to me. For example, if an America or a Canadian or an Israeli or a Greek or a German go to work for a government job or for a, uh, or a sensitive uh, you know, research lab in the academia, they always have to be careful, you know, because the Chinese are uh, unbelievable people. And I want to tell you something which is uh, show uh, my interest to them. When I was a student in Louisiana, I spent six months uh, I uh, studied cultural anthropology, and my, uh, my professor, Dr. Pimenido, asked me to go to live in a Chinatown. So I spent six months eh, living with the three Chinese people in the same house in the Chinatown. Why I did that? After six months, I wrote my report eh, to my cultural anthropology class, and I said to my professor, listen, these people are uh, full cultural team mentality. Anything they do, they think they're flung. Anything they do, they think they're culture. Anything they do, they, they think they're history. I was accepted to them because I was Greek, not because I lived in the United States. You know, and I told them when I was 22 years old, in 1983, I wrote at my report, sooner or later, China is going to be an economic power, and after that, China is going to be a strong military power. In 1983, why? Because I lived six months with them, and after the second month, I was Chinese. I was Chinese. They treat me, and they talk to me, and they try, you know, to make me feel as part of China. And one thing that really surprised me is one of these uh, people that I associate there, they said to me, you are uh, very close to us because our history, Greek and Chinese, are very close. You live with us. You need to learn Chinese. And one lady there, uh, without, I uh, just knew, I knew it for two, three months. She said to me, I'm willing to get married with you and to help you to go to China uh, to study because my mother is working for the government. Now, remember me, six months, 23 years old, learn Chinese get married with a Chinese lady, and they offered me a career development to go to China to become a citizen, and uh, her mother was working for the Chinese government. So she said to me, we can do anything for you, you know, because we, we, we think that you are one of us. And when I said to my, to my professor, you know, listen, that's my, the outcome of my report. They even asked me to get married. And they said to me, after you graduate from this university, you go to Shanghai University to continue your study, and I will come with you. Now, if, it's not, if this is not a cultural power, how else you can define this? You know, and then I said to, I said to my professor, I said, I, said, I said, listen, China is going to be a superpower in a few decades. I don't know. But the way they behave to me, they make me six months to become a Chinese you know, a Chinese man. And, uh, you know, uh, even they invite me, go here, go there, what do you need? You need support, you need money. I was just a student trying to finish my cultural anthropology class, and uh, I decided to stay within Chinatown, living every day with Chinese, 
uh, speaking a little bit Chinese, you know, a few words, eating with Chinese, and then I had a cultural shock when I got out of the Chinese uh, uh, of the Chinese culture. It took me some time to come back, you know, to the to the American way of thinking. That China. So whatever Chinese go, always work, think, and act for the Chinese flag, and never forget that the Chinese is an authoritarian uh, state with a strong communist system. It, it could be a Las Vegas with a very strong communist system, but communist overcomes is stronger than uh, wealth, capitalist, you know, mentality. And uh, of course, you have to realize that the Chinese are very Chinese and then could uh, call them as uh, anything you want. Anything, everything, everything, everywhere they are, they are very Chinese. So espionage, information, supporting the country is their first priority, not to everyone, but to many people who live abroad. Okay, my question was mainly based on the news, on uh, what is written on the news, and if we as general public can rely on such information. So would it be safe to link the expel of the Chinese scientists from Canada last year and what the former senior analyst in the Israel Defense Forces suggests in his article? Yes. Yes, the point is, uh, this is a possibility, of course. I mean, when uh, Professor Shokan said from BESA Institute at Barilan University, is, uh, you know, is understandable, you know, because, uh, you know, the expel of this lady from the Canadian uh, research lab related, you know, to the virus uh, could be understandable. And uh, the links, uh, all the information and so on, uh, is is something that we should think, you know, uh, more thoroughly. And I think the public sector uh, in Canada and the university community uh, in, in in Canada, you know, and of course the intelligent information they have, uh, Dr. Pimenido, is uh, is a possibility. But uh, that's why I said to you the little experience that I had with the Chinese Louisiana. Uh, so. I think when I read the article, I, I found it logical, you know, that uh, like that uh, I just said before, that, uh, you know, what the Chinese did uh, regarding, you know, this uh, Chinese research, uh, it's not something strange to me, you know, because uh, there are so many cases, uh, even in, uh, not only in Canada, but uh, in many American universities, that they have it, you know, uh, arrested uh, so many the scholars uh, there, but they always keep a low profile. They don't want to expose the news, uh, not to you know, uh, not to create any kind of turmoil between the Chinese academic community in the United States and so on. But uh, Dr. Shahan, you know, in Besa Institute in Barilan, I found it you know quite understandable the way that Canadian authorities responded. Okay, so in a sense, uh, you would suggest that universities outside China will have to be stricter on evaluating yes. uh, Chinese, Chinese scientists applying to pursue research in labs in the academia beyond their country. But you know what? Sometimes 
there is a portion of the general public here that sees with suspicion the West government's cautiousness towards China. Is the cautiousness uh, and suspicion of the Western government real? No, Dr. Pimenito, we don't have to be paranoid. We don't have to be paranoid. I'm not saying that we have to close the border to the Chinese scientists that want to study abroad. I will say directly and very clear that the, uh, that the Western authorities and the Western uh, academia must be a little bit precautious and a little bit uh, skeptical and, uh, before they hire anyone. In other words, they want to make sure, if they can, because it's very difficult, uh, that, the, that, that the motivation for the student to come there is only primarily to do the research, all right? I don't know how they are going to find out about that, uh, but uh, they have to make sure that uh, the information they have from, the, from you know, their own institution or from their own security community to make sure that uh, the Chinese who come to the Western University uh, to work there, to build their academic career, and not to be some kind of undercover, you know, scientists and to work uh, uh, for the Chinese authorities. Uh, this is extremely difficult, you know, to find out in the beginning, but they want to make sure that at least if, you, if a country gives you an opportunity to you, you have to respect, you know, the, the educational system, you have to respect the people, and not to manipulate the people how to obtain the knowledge and uh, bring the knowledge back to your own country, you know, uh, without having, uh, let's say, the, the moral permission to do that. And uh, uh, I have it, uh, in the last six months, I have received more than a 780, seven or eight invitation to go to China, to Beijing, to go to, you know, to become, a, you know, to, to participate in project and uh, they want to come to, to Greece uh, to get to, to see me, to get to know me. Uh, they, they gave me some kind of statement, we come to meet you because we are interested in your ears and blah, blah, blah. One thing that I, I find out about the Chinese culture, if they have something in their mind and they are going to succeed, they are going to meet you. You can say to them 100 times no. They are going to insist until they find a way to come to see you. They never give up. The Chinese never give up. Never give up. If they see that you are an interesting person and you said, I'm not interested to meet you, they will come after some time and they will say, please, I have rejected to go to China three, four times. I mean, because I'm busy. But what I see is uh, their uh, persistence to meet you or uh, to, to have some kind of uh, collaboration with you is unbelievable. And you know, I saw that uh, in my cultural anthropology study when I, when I studied the Chinese culture. They are unbelievable people. If they want to achieve something, if they want to do something, sooner or later, they will do it. In one year, two years, five years, but the Chinese never give up until they get what they want.
But what I understand from your description so far is that Chinese are generally very dedicated uh, to their country and that uh, mainly what they are doing uh, professionally, uh, they want to dedicate this to their country, which in a sense is uh, the communist mentality, right? That the state is above... uh, any individual and any individuality, which kind of makes sense. It's just that maybe sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend this because we haven't experienced a communist state. We haven't lived in a communist state to be raised in that sense, in that way. And um, this is maybe sometimes very hard for us to believe uh, that uh, some people might be so dedicated uh, to their countries. You are a man who studied, lived, and travels extensively abroad. What value has your experience of spending a significant portion of your life abroad brought to your life perspective? Well, Dr. Pimenid, living abroad. Uh you know, in the United States, Finland, Israel, you know, Norway. Uh, It was one of the best experiences that I ever had. Number one, you know, I met people, you know, I saw different cultural perspective, but the most important thing for me, like everyone who lives abroad, is that uh, I was able to adjust myself in different cultural characteristics, you know, and uh, to see the weak and the strong point of the culture to see, you know, things that you don't see every day, but it makes me feel confident, makes me feel, you know, open-minded. It makes me feel, you know, um, uh, different from an, a very close uh, society. If you le- if you live in a country that you never, you know, go out. So that was an enrichment. It was an enrichment, you know, to me, to study different, you know, educational system. And now uh, I can see that uh, every state, every culture has something to offer, quite different from another culture. Uh, the Mediterraneans, the Scandinavians, the Americans, everyone, the Latin Americans too. And the, but the point is that uh, basically uh, people are uh, the same, no matter what, but the culture, the culture gives you the power to adjust uh, in a very difficult, you know, uh, circumstances. And uh, the only thing that I could say right now is that uh, I can live in every country, no matter what, you know, and I can survive by having experiences, so many cultures, and I'm very easily, as a sociologist, because that's my first degree, to understand, you know, uh, the customs, you know, the and and the, the customs and the uh, the customs and the culture of the society, and to try to you know to motivate myself to make my uh, you know the best. So living abroad is uh, is like a, it's like a journey. It's like a journey that makes you at least a good man, uh, very powerful, and be able you know to be to, you know to see to see you know the. The, to see, you know, the strength that any culture and any race has uh, has to offer uh, to you. And I always say to my students, 
you know, enjoy this, uh, enjoy this uh, trip, go to live abroad, not only for the paper or for the degree you're going to get, but, but for the experiences you are going to face. These experiences are the most important thing in your journey. So living abroad uh, is something that uh, everyone, everyone has to do it. As a student, as a, as a, as a, as a businessman, everything. Because when, when you meet uh, people coming from different history, from different, you know, culture, could provide you more knowledge and more uh, open your horizon and open your mind. Since we talk about your life journey, can you tell us a time in your journey that you experienced failure and what you learned from it? Well, uh, one, one of the, one of the, uh, the failures that uh, I, I experienced was when I came to Greece, as I explained it. But, uh, you know, I, I do believe what uh, Richard Churchin said, eh, which I have it, uh, I have it, uh, his word, on uh, my office. So anytime I go to my office, I see his words, which says that, you know, success is, uh, success is to go from one failure to another without losing your enthusiasm. So uh, sometimes when I go to another country and I, I feel failure, to me, failure is part of my life. I'm not afraid. You know, uh, to make a mistake is part of my life. I'm not afraid. Failure makes me feel strong because uh, I, it, uh, I it, you know, reboot my, it, my, my, my brain and my, my ideas. And I see, you know, that my mistake and my failure makes me stronger. So Greece was the best, the best practice for me. I came here, everybody kicked me out. Everybody, you know, asked me to leave. I, you know, I came here and they said to me, before you start, you fail. But, I, you know, uh, part of what I did. I did, you know, because, you know, it takes a little bit uh, uh, out of the box thinking. So failure... You know, even though I fail sometimes when I go to some other university to look for a job uh, in a university in wherever in Norway, but uh, I'm not afraid. I mean, I can't do any kind of job uh, until I get, uh, I can't do any, job, any kind of job to survive. But, but my dedication is to achieve, you know, to achieve, you know, my strategy. It doesn't come immediately, but if you insist you are going to succeed. So the transition area between failure and success, you know, makes you stronger if you believe and have faith. You know, if you have faith in yourself, everything is possible. But you need to go through pain. Pain is part of the story. Well, unfortunately, most of us are afraid of the pain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is true. And this is why most of us are really panicking right now, even with the coronavirus pandemic. It's about the possibility of feeling the pain, not just physical pain, but even pain of not seeing our loved ones for a long time or even not seeing, them, seeing some of them um, anyway. But just to conclude our very nice discussion today, I would like to ask you, what are your goals in the next five years, both professionally and personally? 
Okay. Well, first of all, my goals as a director of the Research Institute for European American Studies are number one, because we are an independent, non-profit institute. Uh, I'm, I'm just working very strongly, you know, to increase the fundraising for the, for the institute in order to keep, you know, the institute, you know, be more active and more alive. Uh, number two is to educate and train young scholars, you know, to think out of the box. We need to have a, an academy, an out-of-the-box academy, Dr. Pimenidou. We need to think uh, uh, scenarios that uh, nobody discusses, uh, but it could become reality. So out-of-the-box thinking is priority number one for me. Uh, another thing is, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, try to extend the institutional collaboration with the research foundation from all over the world uh, in order, you know, to enrich, you know, our uh, experiences, research experiences. And of course, uh, we are looking for proposal and project, um, you know, uh, in order, you know, to, uh, uh, in order, you know, to build up international collaboration and to have exchanges, you know, of idea and uh, especially, you know, to have uh, uh, best practices. So my life now and my goal and my vision is to make my institute uh, as strong as I can. That's why I focus on fundraising. And uh, to have, you know, uh, the European Intelligence Academy, a strong institution under the authority of the Research Institute for European American Studies, and to provide, you know, education and training to the young scholar to think about uh, unconventional scenario like the coronavirus. What could you, you know, what uh, could uh, happen in the future that nobody discussed, but from open, from open sources, you know, from open sources. I mean, we could uh, discuss about uh, several scenario that uh, intelligent community could discuss, but they always state, uh, you know, um, I always state, you know, in, in a secret way. But in my case, would like to have a, an open sources, you know, unpredictable scenario under the, under the European Intelligence Academy with the support of the Research Institute for European American Studies. That's why I want to make uh, this institute stronger to have as many people think about out of the box and to support the safety, you know, of the people in our own society. Thank you, Yanis, for being here with us today. Thank you for sharing with us um, many parts uh, of your life and you shared with us your experience. Okay, uh, Dr. Pimenido, I was a little bit more, as, you know, a little bit emotional because I, I brought to you some information about my personal life, but I did that on purpose when I talked to you about living in the culture of apology with the Chinese when I was young in order to show you that uh, it's not just uh, uh, books, academic books or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, or just uh, conferences or uh, research. It's part of my life. If you really understand, if you want to understand some people, you need to live with them. 
So thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for sharing with us the purpose and contributions of the Research Institute for European and American Studies, that the academia should not be affiliated to scientists linked to military intelligence service of another country, that faith to one's vision is real power by patience and consistency. Yes. If you want to keep in touch, if you want to keep in touch with John Nomiko's work, follow the Research Institute for European and American Studies, RIEAS website at www.rieas.gr for current news based on strategic analysis and reports, as well as on reflection papers from scholars and experts from the civil society, private sector and government. The Institute offers internship positions open to early career scholars and young experts from various domains whose research interests match the Research Institute for European and American Studies objectives. Join me on Facebook, Twitter, at the Global Greek Influence and LinkedIn. Please subscribe to the Global Greek Influence podcast platforms. Rating and reviews give me support. I'm looking forward to seeing you back soon. Our next episode will be with Evan Karambelas, experienced in renewable energy companies, a fellow at the Clean Energy Leadership Institute and advocate of the Hellenic Leaders.